0: back to Awakening Reformation, where Reformation awakens now. My name is Grant, and joined with me is my beautiful wife, Erica, the weaker vessel.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: If you would like to get to know more about Awakening Reformation podcast, we are a part of Rebel Alliance Media. Go to rebelalliancemedia.com to find out about all the rest of the podcasts in our network. Erica and I record a podcast for families with our kids which comes out on Mondays called Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids. During this summer, we are doing a study through Systematic Theology for them called Systematics for Saplings. And the study guide for that comes out on the blog every Sunday. And then every Monday, we put out a podcast that kind of gives an overview of the doctrine being taught for that week. So go to the website and subscribe to the feed. In order to get all of that content our podcast comes out on tuesdays the rebel podcast with p nate and poots comes out on wednesdays and those two boys up in Canadian land the og rebels as we call them are doing an awesome job equipping the church to engage culture with a biblical worldview mm-hmm. and right now our thursday podcast redeeming history is on a break ben emery is uh working on season two and so that will be forthcoming but you can still get season one if you go back in our feed friday is another podcast put out called the podcast for cultural reformation ryan aris is the host of that podcast so subscribe to the feed so that way you get all the content when it is released every week we also have a patreon if you feel so inclined to financially support us and help us to continue to put out the content we do and to expand and grow go to patreon.com slash rebel alliance special shout out to our patrons who do give we really appreciate you and what you do means a lot to us yep do we have any other announcements
2: mm, so nate and colleen are gonna come visit us
0: i'm so excited that the rights are visiting us here in brooklyn
2: That's pretty exciting.
0: So it should be, what, a little less than a week when this is released.
2: The world might, like, explode.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited. I might put a countdown on my phone. You know how people do countdowns on their phones?
2: Yeah, I'm not so sure how masculine that is.
0: All right, well, you know, we'll move on. So there might be an episode we put out soon here with Nate in Studio VB.
2: Which is really just a closet.
0: Which is a closet. Yeah, we might have some exciting episodes here in the near future. So stay tuned. We, we, some... can't,
2: we can't divulge just yet, but it's going to be really fun and funny, I think.
0: Yeah. So get excited with our vagueness. So we have an interesting news story that we were going to begin this episode with. Hmm. So what do we got, babe?
1: Well,
2: your brother's a cop.
0: My brother is a cop.
2: He's a copa.
0: He is a deputy sheriff. And this is in the desert. Of California.
2: Yeah. So anyway.
0: Covers a lot of ground. This is kind of... Not a lot of people. And
2: and you have some other, like, friends, you know, in the podcasting world that are cops as well. Uh, Kev England is a cop. True. There's some good cops out there, guys. So we know that there's corruption everywhere because sin is everywhere. So we're not trying to say that there aren't, you know, evils in law enforcement. But we do know that God has instituted um, authorities, governing authorities over us. And one of them is law enforcement. They are, uh, common grace from God. They are very crucial to managing civil life.
0: Exactly. They are a tool of the civil magistrate so that they can do their job of punishing the evildoer.
2: Yes. And we know that we could do a little bit of work in, uh, helping the law enforcement do their job more efficiently and mm-hmm. maybe choosing and uh, perhaps better educating or training yeah. cops to do their job better. Would that be fair to say?
1: Yeah. I, and mean, I, I
2: think like a lot of cops would say, yeah, we we could get rid of some bad guys and bringing some better ones or, right. or help with some training. That's pretty fair. Yeah. But by and large, like we're very thankful for cops, especially godly cops. Yeah. Without getting into the weeds of law enforcement and what we could do better there, we're going to just say thank you to all the cops, all the law enforcement. There was something that happened in Tempe, Arizona okay, uh, on July 4th, America's birthday.
0: That's right. And, America.
2: And it was a story that went something like this. Six cops walk into a Starbucks, pay for their coffee, happily sit outside Starbucks facility, and another gentleman who is white walks into the Starbucks and complains to the employees at that said Starbucks mm-hmm. that the presence of the police officers in front of the store made this customer feel unsafe. Just their presence, they weren't doing anything. As far as I know, that's reported the cops didn't say anything, they didn't have any communication with this gentleman. He simply walked by them as he walked into the store, and that is what made him feel unsafe. Just their presence at the store. Can I say
0: can I say a couple things yes. real quick? So first of all, I want to say this is like the president saying, So the Secret Service is really making me feel unsafe.
2: Yeah, basically.
0: Like they're there to protect you. Mm-hmm. Like you now have security.
2: And you're a white guy,
1: like
0: at- <laughs> Well, that's Arizona, I mean. Um but it's like you now have security. You're now at a Starbucks with security. Like, how do you feel more coffee. unsafe now?
2: Yeah, you can drink your coffee without fear of and, anything.
0: And then, second of all, what more appropriate of a place are you to see cops than a coffee shop?
2: I mean, maybe a donut
0: shop. Possibly a donut shop, but like donuts That's and coffee, Jeremiah. <laughs> but donuts and coffee are just a staple of law enforcement. So, yeah, I mean, maybe there is a... Let the
2: hate mail pour in from <laughs> all the cops. <laughs>
0: right. Um, but maybe there's an establishment where you're like, why are cops here? I mean, that that could be true, maybe. But in this context, you're like, well, yeah, th- I mean, it's well, a coffee shop.
2: If the cops went in and paid for their own coffee, like Starbucks right. didn't give it to them for free. They're paying customer just the same as this other gentleman. Mm-hmm. But by nature of their career choice... They are being discriminated against in Starbucks. The Starbucks employee actually asked the cops if they could move to a different part of the store where this other patron could not see them. Oh my! Goodness. Or asked them if they could just leave the premises altogether. So naturally, the cops were pretty offended, and they just left. Yeah, which is a sad, a sad state. But they did; they left, and of course, um. Once this hit social media, Twitter was all a buzz and the hashtag dump Starbucks took off.
0: Did Starbucks Corporate say anything about it?
2: Um, they basically just apologized and said that we're sorry the to... cops we're oh, sorry to... the cops were asked to leave.
0: So they apologized to the cops?
2: Kind of. <laughs> I mean, just
0: apologize to Twitter.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's basically what it is. And this is the funny thing about Starbucks is that they are they are a a company that is very much driven by the almighty dollar, you could Mm say. Right. And we know that Starbucks is not it's not new to controversy. True. There's been quite a few Starbucks controversies. Yeah. The holiday cup controversy. Yep. The discrimination. Uh, training they had, I think it was last year when right. they closed on all the Starbucks so they could do some discrimination right. training. I mean, like Starbucks is yeah, someone's always doing something dumb at a Starbucks. Yeah.
0: They've been in it before.
2: Yeah, essentially what they're doing is just trying to pacify people who are angry at them. I don't think they really care so much about like yeah. where they are politically. Although Starbucks does donate a lot of money to organizations that are very much leftist.
0: Yeah, so. The interesting thing about this is that they would go there and they usually would get free donuts and free coffee because the shop owner wanted them there Mm -hmm. because it made people feel safe. Right. And that's
2: part of a cop's job is to patrol the community and just be a presence.
0: Yeah, exactly. Is that, oh, they're here. If something were to happen, I got a cop right here. Like, yeah, I feel safer now. And. My brother has said this. A lot of places will um, just offer discounts because they... Or free items. Yeah, they like them there. They like them having their breakfast at Denny's.
2: So anyway, what do you think a Christian should do with the whole Starbucks
0: sitch? I just think Christians need to continue to learn the biblical understanding of a civil magistrate and that they are there to punish the evildoer. And so we don't need to repudiate law enforcement in general. I know there's a uber libertarian stream, even in uh reformed world mm-hmm. and Christians, um, thinking, you know, the more freedom, the better.
2: So get rid of the cops. We can govern right. ourselves.
0: Yeah. And, and that's just not what Romans 13 talks about. There is supposed to be, uh, just rule of law, mm-hmm. ideally according to biblical standards. Um, but we shouldn't, We shouldn't disdain the civil magistrate and the tools, which is law enforcement, Mm -hmm. the tools they use to do their job.
2: Well, and I think that there's probably some type of case that could be made, too, where this gentleman who's walking in and telling the Starbucks employee, hey, I feel unsafe because these Mm -hmm. cops are out there, like he's almost slandering them because he is...
0: Assuming Assuming yeah. an
2: evil and then projecting that that idea or that false right. idea and like spreading it. Then he's taking that false narrative and he's spreading it to the Starbucks employee and saying, I feel unsafe, get rid of these guys and it's just mm-hmm. like a, a slander against these men who he doesn't know at all.
0: Yeah, so I think this is an example of like the genetic fallacy that people talk about where um, oh, I met this one cop one time who's really bad, so cops are bad. Right. Just because they're associated with being cops.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's like saying I met one bad doctor, so all doctors are bad.
0: Right. I mean, people do this with church, though. Oh, my past, this pastor mm-hmm. really hurt me, so I gave up on all of them.
2: I mean, imagine if, like, this generation were to do that with, like, boyfriends and girlfriends. You know, like, oh, <laughs> I, know, right? I had one really bad girlfriend.
0: <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. No more girlfriends.
2: No more fornication. <laughs> that could well, be
0: That would be good. <laughs> that would be good. Um, but, but also, people, just in general, and especially Christians, need to just think objectively, learn standards of justice and things I like that. I think this is,
2: yeah, God's law. Like, you.
0: Yeah. we really so do way... need to just
2: study God's law and, like, how... And I think that will help us navigate how to think about yeah. headlines like this.
0: True. And, and also, when there is a bad cop... We can put our finger on it. Exactly. You know, because we... we'll
2: know what's wrong because we'll see where he deviates from God's law.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not just whole scale. All cops are good. All law enforcement is, you know, this righteous, holy thing. It's the institution of it is a good thing, a biblical thing. And we use godly wisdom, biblical wisdom to understand when it's gone wrong.
2: Our solution is buy a cop a cup of coffee. Just kidding. That's not our solution.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you want to, you go right ahead.
2: So speaking of social media, I've got one for you. We haven't discussed this one beforehand. Oh, no. This is a surprise. Have you seen the hashtag I am here?
0: No, I have not.
2: Okay. Well, let me educate you.
0: I'm ready for this.
2: So I'm unsure as to where this originated from. Mm Mm-hmm. But in this article, there is a woman named Nina and she lives in Berlin and she is part of an organization that started a online anti-hate speech campaign. Okay. So literally what they are doing is they are going on social media platforms and where they see any type of misogynistic, racist, homophobic conversations Mm -hmm. instead of... Uh, engaging in those conversations. They offer facts and they aim to educate the people who are making such terrible comments. So much so that this woman Nina is dedicating three hours of her day To going on social media.
0: You've got to be kidding.
2: I am not kidding. And she is seeking to combat hate speech. It's an international movement, this article says. Why
0: should she have one person in America join her? No, it's international. No, no,
2: no. no. You would think, right? Like, this just seems absolutely absurd.
0: I would hope, but.
2: No, there are thousands. hopes are going to be crushed. There are thousands of people. Oh, yeah. Who are part of this organization. Yeah, of course. And here's the scary part. Okay. And- That's not scary enough. <laughs> no. So, because this is such a wonderful thing that these mm-hmm. women and yeah. men are combating hate speech and dedicating their life to it. Okay. Facebook is offering free ad credits to this no, organization. No, they're not. Yes, they are. Wow. So, for any of you guys who don't know how running an ad on Facebook works- Yeah. Uh, Rebel Alliance Media has actually had a few bumps in the road when it comes to running ads because it has to be reviewed Mm -hmm. by Facebook, and then if they approve it, it can uh, be ran on their platform. Mm -hmm. And if not, you're basically out of luck.
0: Yeah, you're denied advertisement.
2: There have been a couple posts by Rebel Alliance Media that have been denied by Facebook for hate speech, essentially.
0: Um, yeah, the pro life challenge was one of them.
2: Yeah we we couldn't we couldn't advertise our pro life challenge videos because they were
0: too political. Too or political. Something. Yeah,
2: but these people who are educating homophobic and misogynistic racist people are not only allowed to run ads with their worldview and their opposing mm-hmm. view, but Facebook is going to let them do it for free.
0: So the first thing is. They want to, they, they're trying to correct hate speech by what standard? First of all, also what they're doing is they they have given their, their version of the 10 commandments, right? You are not allowed to be a misogynist. You're not allowed to be all these things. And then they are the prophets
1: mm-hmm.
0: who are going to come give you the will of their God and correct you,
1: mm-hmm.
0: call out your sin and call you to repentance But again, on absolutely no foundation whatsoever. There's no moral standard. They have no no moral standard. So I would love that they would correct me and I could respond and say, Well, I find your comment hate speech. And how do you correct me? Do you have any way to correct me? It's also just completely unfair, right? That Facebook is going to offer them free ads just because.
2: There's no neutrality.
0: No, there is no neutrality and they're showing their favorites right now. Yep. And if Facebook was a private company, then this would
2: Then we would applaud their decisions. Yeah,
0: it would be totally Maybe fine. Maybe not
2: applaud, but we would support Free it market, because yeah. Right. Well, and they're allowed to make whatever decision. Yeah. yeah.
0: Facebook is a publicly traded company and there anyone can make an account. There's no discrimination on whether Christian page. I mean, there is a category of religious Pages that Mm -hmm. you can make it's completely biased Mm -hmm. to give them free ads. Yep. I want a free ad. I mean We're not gonna get don't hold your breath. We're gonna get denied our ad again.
1: Exactly.
0: So So that was talking about some fun stuff with Grant and Erica. (laughs) We will take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about the Covenant of Grace. episode we are continuing with our covenant theology series today covering
2: the covenant of grace which is a very simple topic
0: yeah uber simple so we hope it's just as simple for you
2: (laughs) just kidding there's a lot of ink spilled on this topic
0: yeah so there are entire seminary courses over a whole semester that cover covenant theology
2: We're literally just trying to break this down to the person who's never heard of it before. So for those of you who are incredibly well-read, this might seem like very simplistic and like we're skipping over a lot. We are.
0: Yeah. Purposefully, because there's just way too much to cover. And we're actually hoping to encourage you and get you excited. So that way you do go study for yourself.
2: And for those of you who have never heard of covenant theology maybe who have heard of it but are just really overwhelmed when it comes to the topic because it can be quite overwhelming, to be honest. Yeah. We're just kind of hoping to give you a very simple overview and like just kind of give you the bare bones of it because we do think it's very important to at least grasp its basic structure.
0: Yeah. The fact that covenant theology shows up in the entire Bible. Mm Mm-hmm makes us think that this is quite important. Mm-hmm. So, when we
2: say that covenant theology is a framework, I mean, it's like when you build a house, you have to start yeah. with a foundation and like a frame. That's, yeah. that's the core of uh, any right. home. And it's the same with how you view and perceive God and his revealed word. Like mm-hmm. you have to have a framework to build go off of, to build off of.
0: Yeah. And we have found that covenant theology is truly the blueprint to understanding the Bible. You know, you can look at the Bible, but if you put the blueprint of covenant theology over it, mm-hmm. it's incredibly helpful in some difficult passages and just in some, you know, certain books in the old Testament and you, why is this here? You know, I don't mm-hmm. understand what the per. but when you plug it into
2: Your framework.
0: Your framework, the covenant theology throughout Mm -hmm. all of redemptive history. Right. It starts to make sense.
2: Exactly. Just to use that house building analogy again. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you were to just take a random, some random materials that Mm -hmm. you would use in home building, like insulation and say, what in the world do I do with this? Right. I mean, it doesn't make any sense unless you have a framework that can, you know.
1: Yeah, exactly. it It can
2: be Plugged into or put into, and now it has a purpose, and it and you can see it in its functionality, and it's a good thing. We're happy that it's there. Yeah. You can't really do much with insulation unless you have a frame first. It's true. And so I don't know anything about building houses, by the way, which is yeah, probably you. evident in this analogy. You probably
0: <laughs> <laughs> someone that listens. It's actually you don't a... plug in <laughs> insulation.
2: That's not what I'm saying. What They're I'm like, saying. Does she know insulation is no. not electric? <laughs> no. Nah. That's not what i You gotta I mean.
0: charge the insulation and put- I'm a girl. <laughs> You're a lady. And I love that.
2: Well, I'm happy, <laughs> Greg Johnson.
0: So okay, let's go <laughs> let's move on.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: Don't be a Greg Johnson. Yeah. That's that the can new, go like... on
2: that can go on Chris's first segment. Okay. There you go, Chris. There's some material.
0: That's the new like, don't be a girl. It's just don't be a Greg Johnson. <laughs> worse.
2: All right. So covenant of grace. Now okay. that we have kind of like pitched it to everyone, yeah. why, they sh- why you should still keep listening. Right. The covenant of grace. In every covenant, once again, there are parties. There are individuals whom this agreement or this covenant is made between. Right. Who are the parties of the covenant of grace?
0: So in the covenant of grace, the two parties are God. Triune and triune God. I would say those people who believe God's promises. Yes. Those are the ones who receive God's grace. And this
2: is important because when you see and you read scripture, you'll read passages that say God's covenant people or God's chosen people Mm -hmm. or God's elect or Israel or variations thereof. And these are the people that the covenant of grace was made with.
0: And so what we're trying to do is just make the distinction that God doesn't give this special grace or make a special covenant like this with the whole world. Mm-hmm. It is with a particular people. Yes. And there are deeper nuances and we'll probably get into it um, about who is truly saved and who uh, will truly be in heaven because
2: Visible church versus invisible church. Stuff. Right.
0: Some of that stuff. And so I think we'll get into that uh, a little bit later in the show. But
2: but we're saying for the sake of ease that this covenant yeah. is made between the triune God and the visible church.
0: Yeah. Those people who believe in and follow Yahweh. Yep. I think it's a pretty simplistic way to put it.
2: Yep. Okay. So then we also talked about um, every covenant having blessings and curses mm-hmm. so the blessing of this covenant we would say could be found in Genesis 17:7 7.
0: so Genesis 17:7 7, God says I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you
2: right so this is one of the administrations of the covenant of grace when God made a covenant with Abraham. Mm-hmm. And we would say that the blessing of this covenant is the that phrase, I will be your God.
0: Yeah, exactly. We see that reiterated through... Uh, all of the covenants in the new covenant, God reiterates it again, mm-hmm. that you will be my people. At the end of the Bible in Revelation, mm-hmm. it says, and God will dwell with his people. Like that's the culmination of everything mm-hmm. is, is fellowship and communion with God. That's like the main point of all of this covenant theology mm-hmm. is that God wants to be close to us. It's how he, he
2: relates to his people. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. He wants to be in fellowship with us.
2: Right. So then that's the blessing that right. God will be our God.
0: Because we lost that. Exactly. Adam lost that yeah. fellowship. And now this is the blessing of the covenant of grace. Is we right. get that back.
2: And then the curse is obviously death, right? Right. And we know that it was indeed death that would be mm-hmm. required of God if this covenant was broken.
0: Right. So people are under the, uh, under the curse of sin uh, in Adam Already, already
2: at this point yes
0: but added on to that which is what the New Testament constantly is exhorting the church against is uh, don't apostatize mm-hmm. so and leave the covenant people of God because you incur even greater curses
2: greater wrath upon yeah.
0: yourself it's it's better that you had never known the Lord mm-hmm. Peter says. And so there's there's continued covenant curses.
2: For sure. So where do we first see the covenant of grace mentioned? Do we see the phrase like covenant of grace? Do we see those words in scripture? Like where do we first see this concept of covenant of grace? God relating graciously to mm-hmm. his people.
0: Well, the, the term covenant of grace is not word for word in the Bible, mm-hmm. which we explained why we can accept certain terms in our episode on the covenant of redemption Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and possibly even covenant of works too. But where we first see this is in Genesis 3.15. When God is cursing the serpent for what he did in the garden, he tells him, I will put enmity between your seed and the woman's seed and you will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. Mm Mm-hmm. And this promise to get rid of sin, to reverse the effects of whatever this serpent had brought in to the world is the very beginning of the covenant of grace. This is the first moment we see God promising redemption, promising deliverance, promising
1: promising
0: salvation. And then right after he tells the woman about her curses and for what she did and then Adam as well, then God kills animals and covers them. Mm -hmm. And so we see sacrifice and atonement.
2: Which is a foreshadowing of Christ. Right. His sacrifice for sin.
0: So we see God making this promise and then making a provision for their sin, which is, like Erica just said, a shadow of the future. Mm
2: -hmm. So before this covenant of grace, I know this is where Mm -hmm. some people can say that, like it can get kind of hairy obviously God was gracious prior to this covenant. Like God didn't have to create Adam. Right. God didn't have to love Adam. Mm-hmm. I mean, and certainly the covenant of redemption, we would say that there was grace involved in that decision. Like God would, would uh know that Adam was going to sin and he right. chose to like, sure. Grace was involved. We're not right. denying that at all. What we're saying is prior to Adam falling into sin, um, They weren't sinful.
0: Right. And so even though God's actions were gracious, like you said, now the covenants that God makes with us, he's forgiving our sin. He's giving up. He's now giving more gifts to us, like saving faith and forgiveness and reconciliation and all these different things that we have in Jesus are grace. They're undeserved gifts mm-hmm. they are i mean we're passive recipients of these gifts under the covenant of grace
2: right man moves from being at peace with god to being an enemy of god mm-hmm. and god graciously views us as in christ and yeah. he is our surety mm-hmm. and that's now how we relate to god in the covenant of grace not we now but like them right <laughs> i should say right. get my tenses correct That's how Abraham and David and Moses and Noah relate to God is through Christ, who is their surety.
1: Mm
0: -hmm.
2: He hadn't yet come and died, but God graciously sees them as in Christ.
0: Right. Their belief in God's promise is what gave them their righteousness.
2: Yes. And we can get into that in a minute. Okay. Just for the sake of argument, yeah. th- there's probably multiple views on this, but just for the sake of simplicity, this is how we're going to break it down. There are two dispensations or phases. I hate the term dispensation because of its connotations, Yeah. but we're going to say phases. So we're going to say there's an Old Testament phase and a New Testament phase. So when we see covenants in the Old Testament, like the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the Noahic covenant, and all these other covenants, why do we say that those covenants made would fall under the covenant of grace? We would say that the covenant of grace is like a book. Mm -hmm. And when we open up the book and we're reading its plot, that would be the beginning of the covenant of grace, which is that Genesis 315 promise of the Messiah who would come and remove sin. That mm-hmm. would be the very first, like, plot. That's the the main idea of the story. Right. And then the following chapters, like the Noahic Covenant and the Davidic Covenant and so on and so forth, those are just chapters that further explain the plot, right?
0: Right. There are further revelations of the story, of how these characters are all going to get to this end, mm-hmm. which we were told in the plot. God told us, I'm going to remove sin and it's going to be a seed of the woman, right? Then throughout all of history, using Israel, using David and all that, we see God working that out. We see him bringing a son, using a people, and then we see what he does through Jesus' life and death, burial and resurrection, how that son from the woman removed sin. And so each one of these covenants reveal another aspect of God's plan to save people. And each chapter contains things that Jesus fulfills also. So in each covenant, there are shadows of what Jesus would do in the future. So essentially what we see in God's working of redemptive history is...
2: Well, and primarily in the covenant of grace...
0: Right, is essentially what people have labeled in media res when it comes to literature, where basically the ending is revealed to you at the beginning.
2: And then it's filled in.
0: And then the whole rest of the rest. story shows you how they got there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And we love stories like that. Yeah. You know, some crazy scene, and then it's like four days earlier. Right.
2: <laughs> um. So this is where, this is what we see in the covenant of grace, is that the plot or the ending is given up front, Mm -hmm, right? The sun will be given that will crush the head of the serpent. Like that's the ending of our story, or at least close to the ending. Right. And every covenant that God makes throughout the remainder of this covenant of grace is just a further chapter or um, scene added to this storyline. So that's a helpful way of viewing it, I hope. Yeah. So in the Old Testament, we see that guys like Abraham and David and all those patriarchs are saved by grace Mm -hmm. through faith in a savior that would be to come. Right. And I think it was Burkoff who said that though there was some special revelation given to these people of the Old Testament, like Mm -hmm. they came and discussed things with God. God made right. covenants with them and whatnot. God revealed his will. Um, but part of it was given to them in nature, this revelation. So mm-hmm. part of it was general revelation. Part of it was special revelation. But then in the New Testament, people are saved. Uh, this is us now, in case right. you're wondering. All people now <laughs> We are saved by grace through faith in Christ who delivered us and redeemed us from our sins. And how we now have the gospel and the fullness of this covenant of grace is from special revelation.
0: Yeah. And so where we differ with Reformed Baptist covenant theology is that they see each covenant being separate and distinct by themselves. Mm Mm-hmm. But we see a continuity between each one of these covenants throughout mm-hmm. all of history, culminating in the New Testament, right? in the New Covenant, in Jesus.
2: Jesus is the point of all of the covenants.
0: <laughs> he is the substance. The yeah. Westminster puts it so well that all of these chapters during the Old Testament time had different types and shadows and different ways that... God wanted his covenant people to act. You know, Noah isn't told the same thing that Moses and the Israelites are told. And then David, There's you're going to have a son on the throne forever. Mm-hmm. and But all of it, all of those have the same substance, which is, right. like you just said, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus who was to come hmm And, you know, Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, that's what it does is it chronicles it all these it. people mm-hmm. who are what? They're all saved by faith. Yeah. All of them. And though all those people were under all kinds of different covenants. Yeah. But they all had the same substance, which was Christ.
2: Mm-hmm. And so I've had people ask me questions like, well, when God made this covenant of grace, then in Genesis 315, when he promised the redeemer to Adam and Eve, Mm -hmm. why didn't he just leave it there? Why did he or or when he went to Abraham Mm -hmm. and said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Why didn't he give Abraham the law? Why did he wait so long and give the law to Moses? Like, why why are there different slices in history where God gives further revelation to additional patriarchs.
0: Because God's a better storyteller than that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it would be like a really terrible movie or book if like the whole plot line is given to you in like the first five minutes and it's done.
0: Yeah. Don't we hate that when just way too much is given too early and you're like, really? They already spoiled that or revealed? That was kind of... Right. Out of nowhere. Yeah. So, yeah, I I think God just is a great storyteller, which is why he's done what he's done.
2: On the Rebel podcast this week, they were talking about environmentalism, Mm -hmm. and one of the things that they mentioned was how bad theology will get you into a lot of trouble and that a lot of Christians just think that the earth is going to get burned up and it's going to go away. Right. So what's the point of stewarding the earth in a godly manner? Right. And I don't know if it was uh, Chris or Nate who were talking about how theology, proper theology will show you that when God made a covenant with Noah, he promised Noah that he would never destroy the earth again. Like the earth is not going to get done away with. It's going to be renewed and restored in the same way that our hearts are renewed and restored. God doesn't literally burn up our hearts or get rid of our hearts and give us a new one. Mm -hmm. He restores it. He renews it. He breathes life back into it in the same way the earth will be renewed and restored.
0: Yeah. I heard Jeff Durbin say this one time. He said, Jesus is making all things new. He's not making all new things.
2: Right. And so we get a proper eschatology when we understand the covenant that God makes with Noah.
0: Yeah, true.
2: And... We can, um, like you said, with King David, we can look at the story of King David and see how Jesus had to come through the line of King David because mm-hmm. God promised that there would be a king on David's throne forever. Right. That's Jesus. Yeah. So like each single covenant that God makes with our patriarchs, we see God revealing this facet of yeah. Jesus's rule. Yeah. And it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And I'm thankful for each and every different nuanced covenant, because I think if you lump them all together, you miss really awesome, beautiful things that help clarify other theological yeah. um, topics for us.
0: Yeah. And O. Palmer Robertson's book, The Christ of the Covenants was extremely helpful for me in seeing the connection between each covenant. Mm -hmm. And you see in the Mosaic covenant, for instance, how they link it to their forefathers, Mm -hmm. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then it goes on from there because of this and because of that. And it's always hearkening back to the last covenant connecting itself and then progressing forward mm-hmm. connecting itself to the previous one and continue to move forward and so he really did a good job in that book showing the connection between all these covenants and how they though
2: they are separate covenants they're connected and they're just right. an expansion of the previous one right all being part of this covenant of grace
0: that's my plug for you, the reformed baptists out there to read Robertson's book and uh, and see what he see what he shows in that book. it was really good. So
1: this
2: is the part where things get sticky. okay now we have to talk about some implications all right <laughs> So uh, one of the obvious questions like we talked about earlier is who are the parties involved in this covenant of grace? okay And I think you see very early on that the parties involved obviously have to include, offspring.
0: Right. Well, not only were Adam and Eve still commanded to multiply, Noah's kids are saved and we don't have any account of God speaking to them or making a covenant with them. Mm-hmm. It's just with Noah, but yet his kids are on the ark saved through judgment. Mm-hmm. And then God makes the covenant with him and, and tells Noah to continue to be fruitful and multiply. Mm-hmm. But then again, the, you know, probably most famously to Abram, God says, this is to you and your descendants. We just read it in Genesis 17, which is why the covenant sign was circumcision and to be given to children because God's intention was that for generations and generations and generations would be his people. Mm-hmm. So one of the things That ends up getting brought up here is there was Isaac and there was Ishmael. Both Both, were sons. Both sons of Abraham, both circumcised. Ishmael, not a follower of Yahweh. Mm -hmm. Yet he received the covenant sign and would have been a recipient of all the blessings of being in there had he remained a follower of Yahweh. So typically... People have described this as invisible, visible church. The visible church, obviously, is what you can see. Who Um,
2: shows up to church on Sunday. You don't know their hearts or if regenerations happen there, but they're at church, so you're assuming they're part of the church family.
0: Right. And then, so invisible church are those people who have received grace, who have received saving faith Mm -hmm. from the Holy Spirit, who have been, you know, their hearts have been quickened by the Holy Spirit
2: regenerated, truly
0: yep. on the inside and are decretally elect, meaning they are...
2: They're not going to fall away. Only God knows those.
0: The sticky part of this is that children are called holy, where mm-hmm. we really don't know, but because they yep. are covenant members, they're baptized and they're called part of the body. Also, there are passages that talk about branches being cut off and thrown into the fire. And so this is where our doctrine of apostasy comes in. And mm-hmm. the the sticky part is the ambiguity. Well, do we call someone that's in the visible church, regenerated, elect, Christian? Do we say all those things? I think the Bible does. I
2: think you have to assume that of anyone who calls himself a Christian. Right.
0: Because we don't know the heart. Right. And so this is where we hold to the objectivity of the covenant. We just have to call it like it is in front of our eyes.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We don't know. And
2: everyone does this to some extent. And honestly, this is where right. I think actually Baptists would agree with us to some extent because they're saying like, um, of the adult that comes forward mm-hmm. and wants to be baptized, hey, you want to be baptized? Why do you want to be baptized? Because I'm part of the covenant. Even they realize, like, yeah. I can't know your heart, so I just had to take it at face value. Yeah, it's a good you point. You say you're one of us? all right, then you're one yeah. of us. Like, And I know that there are some really weird sects that like don't baptize people until they're like... 80? You know. Yeah. That's, like right before I death mean, I or I think something. most Baptists even would be like that. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. But like to some extent, both the Baptists and the, the non-Baptists yeah. <laughs> would say like, yeah, at some point, you just have to be like, you're just part of the visible church and I'm just going to assume that you are.
0: Right. And I think the Bible does. I don't think we... Are just coming up with that. I think when Paul writes his letters to the churches, he says to the saints at Ephesus. Yeah, man, he doesn't know who is there their first time.
2: And you have to assume that there are people there that are apostate,
0: right? And who have been there for maybe two weeks. Yeah, or something to, You know, and well, then, and children. So, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, and I I do think God does take that seriously. When mm-hmm. you claim to be united to Christ, you're baptized the Lord's Supper, you live a uh, life in his body mm-hmm. and then walk away from it and scorn the blood that has bought them and all those sorts of things that the New Testament talks about. It's dangerous.
2: And that's where the curse of the covenant comes in. Right. This is where we're saying you almost have to believe that there can be people who are unregenerate in the covenant body mm-hmm. because otherwise who gets the curse of the covenant exactly then there is no curse it's just blessing right which is not how covenants work yeah so that's something you kind of have to work through a little bit
0: yeah and this is why jesus could say to some of the jewish cities or to the jewish people it'll be worse for you on judgment day than it was for sodom and gomorrah mm-hmm. because sodom and gomorrah didn't have circumcision
2: yeah they and weren't covenant covenanted.
1: They,
0: exactly And so that was what Jesus was talking about. Mm -hmm. And so some people get up in arms like, well, if they walk away from the church, then then they never were really saved. But the Bible says that they were. The Bible says they were in the vine. Mm -hmm. They just, they didn't produce any fruit. And so they're cut off and thrown into the fire. Um, We can just be theologically nuanced with this and be able to speak like the Bible speaks.
2: Right. And everyone has to do something with verses that, the the apostasy verses Mm -hmm. So you just have to think, like, when I'm, when I'm having to sort out these verses that seem like you can lose your salvation, mm-hmm. how do I work through these verses and yeah. does, does my framework that I'm filtering these scriptures through right. fit with the rest of my theology?
0: Yeah, and that's where Peter Lightheart in his book, Baptized Body, and Doug Wilson has reiterated the same type of language um, has been helpful to me to describe the church as not just invisible, visible, but historical and eschatological, where the historical church is visible church. We see them. We see people come in and out. I think Doug Wilson said it's like a train people get on, but then at certain stops, in history, people get off. Mm-hmm. But once we reach the end of time and now the resurrections happened and now the sheep and mm-hmm. the goats are being divided, now this is the eschatological church. These are those who have been decretally elect from before the foundations of the world. Yeah. So you can't the lose saints your... saints
2: that have persevered.
0: Yeah. And they, they stayed on the train the whole ride. Right.
2: And we see this all throughout scripture too. Like you had mentioned Ishmael. Mm -hmm. There's Esau and Jacob. Right. Even in the New Testament, we see Judas, who was one of the disciples who fell away, who turned away.
0: Yeah. I may have said Ishmael and Jacob. That's wrong. It's Ishmael and Isaac. So if I was wrong, I just corrected myself. Okay. (laughs) But go on.
2: But this is, this is just an idea that we see throughout scripture. Mm-hmm. And then even in the new Testament, we see Paul giving admonition to little children,
1: mm-hmm.
2: little children, obey your parents. Right. It, Cause this is right in the Lord. He's assuming yeah. you are in the Lord. Hence you need to obey him. You yeah. are not a pagan child. You are part of the covenant family. Now act like it.
0: Yeah. Obey the covenant rules. That's what that was. It's the fifth commandment, right? Honor your father and mother.
2: And you know, this is actually something that if you think we're crazy because we're saying children are included in the covenant, (laughs) um, if you are requiring your children to obey you, but you don't see them as Christians, as part of the covenant family, then you are being wicked parents because you are assuming that they can ascribe to any type of morality Mm -hmm. outside of Christ yeah allowing for them to do that i mean like what you're doing is moralism what you are what you are preaching to them right. is moralism act this way and you have no power to actually do that yeah. but i'm going to require this of you and if you don't do it i'm going to penalize you
0: well and most of those parents if you asked them why do you do that they'd say cuz god told me to parent this way
2: yeah because here's what so you're saying. saying
0: you're even following the bible
2: yeah. And God does like, you're right. God does require that children obey you, yeah. but it's because
0: they're covenant they're children. Covenant <laughs>
2: children. Yeah, yeah. And they are holy. That's what is it? First Corinthians, 1 Corinthians seven yeah. talks mm-hmm. about like they are holy. If a child is part of a family that has one believing parent, they are holy Yeah. and they need to obey you.
0: Yeah. It's the same word as sanctified yeah. for that, that word in first Corinthians seven. That was, for that's afraid. a real status. <laughs> we'll
2: get into more of this like stuff yeah. later on, but hit us
0: up with questions because we want to do a QA episode. We know that there's a lot of things that go unanswered or that cause people to uh, differ with us. Yeah. So we want your questions. Anything we left out?
2: I mean, yeah, a whole lot, but <laughs> there's a
0: whole lot we left out. Each covenant has its own beauty in it that the Lord has revealed his will. You know, get a good book on covenant theology. I would highly suggest uh, Robertson's book, Christ of the Covenant. We
2: hope this is helpful and not just super confusing. I know yeah. we say that every episode, but every episode I genuinely feel concerned.
0: I know. And that's because <sighs> we really care about you guys. And we thank you for listening. And we care about you. We we desperately want you to learn.
2: And we just love covenant theology. It really yeah, is do. the gateway drug.
0: It is. Well, and it's a hermeneutic. Like we keep saying, it is how you... Read your Bible. So it's important.
2: I think once you get it too, it just helps make sense. Like there are no problem passages. Yeah. Literally any other Bible verse, like the apostate verses and stuff, it's like, Yeah, well the branches are cut off because they're kids who fell away. Like that's just simple to me to understand, yeah. or you know, yeah. or an adult who confessed faith in Jesus who fell away. Like, yeah, they they're part of the visible church and They're not anymore. Like, it's just very simple. Everything becomes so simple once you get covenant theology down. You know, if Christians were taught covenant theology and postmillennialism right off the bat, can you imagine how much stronger the church would be theologically?
0: Well, funny you say that because the strength of the church in America that led to its independence was largely because of Presbyterian ministers.
1: It's very true.
2: Think of Presby.
0: Think of Presby. <laughs> so, anyway, all right. Well, I think we're.
2: I'm drinking. I'm sorry. You might hear that.
0: Oh, wait. Mm. Mm. Water. What about water? Titus
2: 2. I'm not given to strong drink. <laughs> that's
0: why. What... <laughs> so, all right. I think we're done. I think that's all we have. Send us your questions, send us your comments. We would love to do a follow up episode in a couple weeks, engaging with you guys so please send that to us and then that episode will come out in a few weeks we appreciate you listening and thank you so much we pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened by the power of the spirit until next time get woke
1: Let's start with the microphone check, one, two, first, water to the dry and weary soul of the true church, the kind of things that you search, they say that the truth hurts, well this pain is gained. so let's explain the new birth, first things first, can't neglect us at the start, I must preface my remarks with the deadness of the heart, from original sin, the effects of the for. The sin of our first parents brought death to us all Since Adam was our federal head What he did counted for us and him were all rebels and dead Yo, Captured in the mind, Disaster, sinning crimes in a dark state Alaska in the winter time, Sour in our frames Left to ourselves, we'd be devoured in the flames Cause we're powerless to change If you feel that weight I pray that you respond happily As you see what Jesus had to say in John chapter 3